Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Christianity. It is one of the biggest hot button topics in our world today. And as an LGBTQ individual, most of us have had to navigate that path. Like, okay, where do I stand in this? Do I still want to tie myself to my values and beliefs as a person of faith, whether it's Christianity or whatever it may be. And sometimes we have to ask the really, really big questions around how do we show up in our faith and our religion? And today we're going to dive into that. I know we've had some other people on the podcast, and I'm always looking for these amazing progressive Christian thought leaders to have more topics and conversations around what is Christianity and how do we navigate this. And today's guest, his name is Reverend Brandon Robertson. He is the pastor of the Mentononia Church, which is a digital online church, as well as he has his own podcast, The Big Questions Podcast, as well as so many books, I can't take the time to list all of them. But um, I ran into him via Instagram and a few other places, and then a couple of people I'd already had on the podcast said, Rick, you need to have you need to have Brandon on, you need to have Brandon on. And so that's exactly what we're doing. And we neither want to know where this whole conversation really is going to go, but it is going to really focus on Christianity and really understanding each other and empathy and all those different things. And um, I'm excited to have him here. So welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you finally. Yeah, finally. Exactly. (laughs) We've been trying a few times. Brandon got sick and some other stuff came up. And this is the world of podcasting, folks. Sometimes you're like, yeah, it's going to happen. And then no, it doesn't happen. And that's okay. But um, so you just moved to New York City. Congrats, man. That's a that's kind of a life changing moment, right? Yeah, thanks. I would never expected to be a New York person, but uh, yeah, it's life has unraveled so much over the past decade. I've been in five different cities, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm now here for a good five years at least. So uh, happy cool. to be calling it home. That's awesome. That's awesome. So of course, you know, brand new New Yorker. It's always so interesting to watch people move to different places. You know, so did you go to the tree lighting? Did- you know, all it's, it's like, no, I'm a New Yorker. New Yorkers don't do that stuff. So, you know, the else that does that stuff. So. It's amazing how quickly I've I've become uh, adopted the pretentious New Yorker mindset mm-hmm. of like, I hate Times Square. I never go down there. Right, and, right. You know, exactly. All of that. But yes, yeah. it's still it magical to be here. It, it is funny. You know, everybody, I lived in Southern California. We were just talking about that before we came on the air, but I lived in Southern California for years. And like, you know, everybody's like, oh, do you go to Disneyland? I'm like, uh, Really? When the kids were younger? Yes. And and I don't want to offend any Disney people. Okay. But just because do you go to Hollywood and go there for shows every once in a while? But no, I don't purposely go hang out in Hollywood. It's not yeah. my jam. But um Hollywood but, um, is the Times Square of the West Coast. And, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It is exactly. So so let's kind of like, you know, there's so many hot buttons around quote Christianity. And I, I don't want to say that that's the only thing around Christianity right now, because I think there's also some very beautiful things happening with Christianity and faith and religion right now, because a lot of people are starting to take some pretty solid stands on this isn't what it's all about, you know, and we, it's, we seem to have gotten misguided. And um, so just from your own little perspective, what do you feel like is some of the heartbeat and pulse right now in the Christianity world? 
Yeah, I mean, we're in an unprecedented moment in American history, at least in recent American history, where we really are hyperpolarized. We have a version of Christianity that has um, seen a resurgence around the presidency of Donald Trump and the aftermath, yep. which is uh, white evangelicalism that is very far to the right, uh, very fundamentalist, and even leaning into things that um, just 20 years ago, evangelicals and fundamentalists would have said are moral failures or were outside of the realm of something they could support. Um, I think Donald Trump legitimized so much behavior for yep. even Christians. Um, and now there's a lot of Christians supporting everything from white supremacy to anti-Semitism to everything in between. Um, and then on the other side, there is a resurgence of what I would call progressive Christianity, which is this movement that's not new, despite a lot of people never mm -hmm. having heard of it. Um, progressives are pretty bad at marketing, I think. Um, and progressive Christianity has been around in the United States, at least since the 1920s. Mm -hmm. And it's been a movement that says, we take the teachings of Jesus seriously, and all the other stuff, supernatural beliefs, theology, that's great. We can talk about it, we can think about it. But that's secondary to mm -hmm. actually trying to see if the social vision of Jesus, of loving your neighbor as yourself, of loving your enemy, of doing good to those marginalized, if that works in the world. Um, and progressive Christianity is an experiment to see yep. if the teachings of Jesus work in 21st century America. Mm -hmm. And I think they do. But I think, sadly, again, though the progressive movement is growing, and though it is fairly large, we're talking about millions of people, most people don't know about us, and the far-right evangelicals are the loud voices with a great marketing machine, and they're winning the day so that when people think about Christianity, they think about homophobia, transphobia, right. racism. Um, and so I'm passionate about trying to use media and empower others to use media to push back against that and claim our space as true followers of Jesus, I would say. Yeah, it is interesting to see the social aspects of all of this starting to go down i interviewed um <clears throat> you might know of him colby martin and he totally. wrote the book on clobbered and he and i were having a similar conversation but this interesting space uh again pr progressive christianity has been around much longer than people think it's not suddenly oh the, as soon as donald trump got elected this showed up no that is this isn't at all it but also in my perspective and i was raised seventh day adventist so very Close to evangelical, not exactly a hundred percent, but pretty darn close to it. And one of the first questions that showed up in my mind is, "Wait, where's the morality in this? Mm -hmm. You know, where where's the moral compass?" And there's a lot of good moral compass in their belief system. Yep. But what I feel like has happened to at least in the last few years, and again, you know, Donald Trump has definitely you know hearkened this to the forefront in so many ways, is the moral compass seems to have just been thrown completely out the door, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's where I feel like it's hurting, especially, you know, in our, in the LGBTQ community, it was already a weapon. It was a weapon. Yeah. It's been a weapon forever, but it seems to like now that sword is sharpened on both sides to just really come after this, which always, it's always interesting because now here we are sitting on the precipice of, you know, the Senate passing the, you know, a marriage equality act. And there was a few Republicans who joined in on that. But then on the flip side, you know, there's some that are just spitting bullets right now. Like this is just not working. And, and so I guess as someone who 
stands in this world of trying to help people see things. How do you see navigating that? Like, okay, well, wait, here's the quote, <laughs> kind of hypocrisy in some ways. Like you're not going to say this, but then you're going to say that. And I, I look at it through the lens of, okay, so you're going to say it's okay for gay marriage, but you're going to go down the whole abortion rights thing and say, that's not right. You know? So as a pastor, yeah. how do you help your, you know, people try to find that balance in seeing both sides? Yeah. I mean, first, I think there is a, a moment that we're in right now that calls for us to actually resist polarization, resist demonization, resist just seeing all Republicans or all evangelicals as yep. evil and resist their demonization of all left-wing folks as woke cancel culture people. Um, so I do think, like, I come from the evangelical world. I spent a long time in that, and I've spent the past decade studying it after I was rejected from it. And a lot of the folks in that world, um, I think of, like, when you're talking about the recent marriage bill, I think of somebody like Mitt Romney, who, for all of his faults and areas we disagree, yep. I do think he probably represents somebody who's an authentic person, who holds real beliefs, who's not doing something out of necessarily political gain, but because he as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, has a certain worldview he believes in. And I think there's room for that kind of person to exist in our country. And I'm glad that we can have civil debate and also bring him along to see, actually, if you value the freedom of rights for all people, then marriage equality is something you should value. That makes sense to me. That's the kind of political movement we need to see in our country. Unfortunately, what we're seeing right now is any student of American history, particularly around Christianity, will know that in the 1960s and 70s, the religious right, the Christian coalition, as it was called back then, emerged from this coming together of right-wing politicians who were losing power and evangelicals who were also losing influence. And they literally met together, and this is recorded history, Jerry Falwell Jr., Pat Robertson met with Reagan's administration and folks like that and said, we need to find a way to motivate our base. We need to find a way to get people united around our conservative platforms and churches. And the best way to unite people is to find a common enemy. And they chose, quite literally, in a conversation, they said gay marriage because mm -hmm. homosexuality has an ick factor, uh, as they would have put it. Uh, a lot of those folks can't even conceive of two men being in love or two women being in love. And yep. then the abortion issue, which evangelicals supported in the 1960s uh, as pro-choice, that was an easy thing to market around because all you do is hold up an aborted fetus and that's going to get a response from people. And so quite brilliantly, but deviantly, they chose these two issues that they knew would get emotional reactions and they exploited that and built a very powerful movement. During the Obama administration and Bush to Obama, really, we saw a decline of that movement. Mm -hmm. um, people kind of grew more reasonable in some degrees around uh, religious conversations for about eight years, maybe. And then as we started coming up to the election cycle where Trump would be the Republican nominee, we see this coalescing again against mm -hmm. these two issues that had kind of grown passe in American culture. Right. We knew marriage equality was one in the Supreme Court. We knew abortion was one in the Supreme Court and people had moved on. They said, no, we're going to go back to the thing that worked 20, 30 years ago. And again, they're doing it now. But yep. because of Trump, it's unleashed with a different level of fury because mm -hmm. the truth is the Make America Great Again folks, they really are afraid that the country they once knew is going away because it is. It is. And yep. 
that fear can motivate people to do all manner of evil things, even attempt an insurrection of the United States. And so this is a moment where I think all of us need to be level-headed, try to be civil, but also be clear that there's a version of conservatism that we can live with and we can dialogue with. And then there's a version that needs to be called out and rejected. And um, I think that's the call of progressive Christians in this moment is to hold a light up to that and say, there's nothing Christian about that. And there's nothing American about the far right movement. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you just said something that's, I mean, all of that was really important, but it's, 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 can be as simple as calling out something with fact. This, this does not fit. This does not, this does not have a moral, you know, compass it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like dealing with narcissists. The best way to deal with someone who's a narcissist is to say, have a response that is just, you know, and I'll use an example because I've been working with a client around this. Like, you know, you go to show up this holiday season, at a, you know, a family event. And of course, some snide remark gets made like, oh, so you decided to show up this year. Rather than letting that get completely under your skin, say, yes, I did. And leave it at that. Because if when you say something that's just, it's this simple, they don't know what to do with it. And of course, that feeds their fire a lot of times too. And I know because I can I can go be triggered in a, in a heartbeat and I've really worked hard on this. And, and even in the last you know few weeks, I've been working through a situation where I'm like, nope, don't let the trigger go. Don't let just you know state the fact this is what's happened. And no, I won't be participating. And I find that the more you can do that, but then to also be very curious, you know, yeah. it's always interesting when you come across someone and this happened just in the last two or three weeks, somebody's like, you know, this whole thing about gay marriage, just, it just needs to go away. If you all want to live together, that's fine. And I said, okay, it's not just about living together. Do you understand the ramification of why we are so adamant about this? And this yeah. person says, well, it's just, it's not under what God, I said, okay, let, I, I'm not asking you to change your beliefs around what you believe is God's way of looking at this. Let me put this in perspective for you. If my husband and I can't be married, then we have to pay more taxes because we're not recognized as a couple. There are times in some areas where if my husband and I went to go buy a house or rent a house or something that we would be denied our ability. There's also times where in certain places where we wouldn't be able to come into a hospital room because we're not recognized. So let me ask you this, if in your relationship, because this person happened to be married, if you couldn't rent a home, buy a home with your wife, you couldn't come see your wife in the hospital when she's deadly ill. If you went somewhere and your marriage isn't recognized because that's not part of it, how would you feel? Yeah, that's all I said. And he got very quiet. He goes, I didn't know all of that existed. I said, this is why it's important to go do your homework yeah. and understand. Now, totally. is it easy? I know you, you know, sometimes those conversations are not easy to have. But I try to come from a space of let's take the emotion out. Number one, let's try to just come in at here, you know, meet, meet them where you can without like, you're an idiot, you're just, you know, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And I think to me, that's at the heart of Christianity. Yeah, no, totally. I think, I mean, it's so hard. You're reminding me because last night I messed up and uh, I tried to not be triggered in responses. And Oh my I God, you're a reverend. You're supposed to be perfect for crying out loud. <laughs> no, I literally told someone to F off. But uh, it was, oh, good you know, I, one of those tropes coming in my inbox about uh, gay people are pedophiles, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I totally understand because clearly I 
don't always live out my values to the point where it, sometimes it does grate on you. And we are in a moment where a lot of people are exhausted because yeah. the amount of hate that's being spewed from various directions is overwhelming. And so I think there's legitimacy for people expressing uh, their fear and anger. But I also, as you're saying, I think empathy wins today every time. And um, I'm convinced that I spent the past 10 years uh, debating Christians on stages in front of audiences about gay marriage and gay rights. And not a single mind was changed in 10 years, but I took a lot of emotional energy for me to be on a stage trying to defend myself and my life and my value. Um, but the place where I have seen change over the past 10 years is those pastors of mega churches that were anti-gay, but then we build a relationship and they see that I'm truly a Christian and I'm truly not the stereotypes right. that they've bought into about what LGBT people are. And slowly through relationship, through empathy, their heart and mind changes. Mm -hmm. And I think when people are gathering with families around tables um, during this holiday season, it's really important to try to keep that front of mind as hard as it is. Mm -hmm. That if you want to change, if you have a hope of changing your uh, parent's mind or your cousin's mind or whoever it is, right. it's not going to be because you have a really good debate about why gay people deserve uh, equal rights. Mm -hmm. It's going to be because of what you just articulated, an ability to draw empathy, an ability for people to see you as a person and not see you as your sexuality or gender identity. Um, and the more people see us and can interact with us as individuals, the more likelihood that their heart and mind will be changed. It's slow. It's not satisfying because it can take years. And it's certainly not as satisfying as owning somebody in a debate. But um, I really, really do believe and I really try not to waste my time anymore, like engaging in heated debates because it just it's not good for me. It's not changing their mind. Most likely I'm solidifying their perspective because when things get heated, we start saying things that offend one another. Um, and so if we can keep that mindset, which is a value of Jesus, love your enemies, the hardest thing Jesus ever said. And yet I think there's some really great wisdom in do you really want to change your enemy into a friend? You mm -hmm. can only do that through empathy and love and not yeah. demonizing. I was listening to um, an Oprah podcast driving back from LA a few weeks ago. <clears throat> Actually, this may be in a while back, but um, she was talking about forgiveness mm -hmm. and, and somewhat around this whole empathy and seeing each other and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that resonated with me, and again, I, I can be pretty damn stubborn. I was raised in a very narcissistic household. So mm. trust me, brother, I'm, I've had to work, do some miracles in my own world, especially as I came out, because then that narcissism, like really reared its ugly head. Right. And the whole, well, we love you, but we just don't love the sin. I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to play that game whatsoever. Yeah. But, um, but um, one of the things that she said is, What's hardest for us as humans is to realize forgiveness is actually the key that gives you freedom. Yeah. And that really resonated with me. And she goes, you can forgive someone. That doesn't mean you still have to have a relationship with them, but you can forgive someone and feel the freedom of forgiving them. And so in a current situation, I've had to really dig into that because it's like, that keeps coming up. You blame us for this. You blame us. For that. And I'm like, no, I have long since forgiven you for that. And I'm actually even forgiving you for what's happening right now, but that doesn't mean I have to strike up, you know, a relationship here. And yeah. it's been a tough one to navigate, but I also find it very helpful. And to also realize, as you said, 
you can't just lop every Christian into every Christian's this right wing wing nut, right? Yeah. Because that's doing a disservice to you and to them. More so to you because now you're becoming as bigoted and and negatively focused and all that stuff. And then guess what? You kind of do deserve that like, well, then you're a real left winger. You know, if there's no room for like seeing other people and I happen to my full-time quote gig, um, I happen to work for an organization that is very faith-based and I love it. And I'm one of the few that's like, Hey, I, I don't claim any particular faith. You know, I, I believe in God and I'm a very like, I hate to use the term spiritual, but I am. I'm very like, I'm a, I'm a deep thinker. I like to go into that spirit and soul and all that sort of stuff. And to be able to see people for who they are and to understand that, you know, Christianity has a huge gamut, you know, Mm -hmm. and so, and everybody does it differently. That's the reason there's so many different religions around the world. Yeah. I think that's the beauty. And when we can start to see each other for the beauty that we are Mm -hmm. and to wake up, in fact, you know, in your new book, Dry Bones and Holy Wars, I know one of the key things that you want is you're trying to call people to wake up and take action for the collective good versus Okay, well, let's take action just for us, which yeah. is a toughie. But um, yeah. so what inspired that book? I mean, I know you've got several books, but this one's your latest one, right? It just came out in October of this year. Yeah, yeah. This book was probably the easiest one. I almost feel like I cheated in writing it because uh, essentially what happened was uh, the publisher reached out and said, hey, we're looking to create resources for people in this moment, uh, particularly Christians that are growing cynical and tired and don't know whether there's any hope to be had in this present moment. And so can you go back through the past six years of kind of the Trump era and find sermons and reflections that you've written and see if we can compile them into a book? And so all of my content was already written, thankfully. uh, And I just had the opportunity to go back and kind of uncover what happened to me during the Trump presidency, which was I was the pastor of a church for the first time. um, And I was standing in front of a community every week, primarily of LGBT people and minorities who were wondering, what the heck do we do now that our world is on fire in a way that we never thought it could be? And I fell back in love with the Bible, as strange as that might sound to so many people, because every week I was required to go into my office, open up the Bible, and try to find something that could speak to our present concerns. And what I found is almost every single time There was a story from that ancient book that directly paralleled something that was happening in our world, and it had so much uh, profound wisdom. And so one of the stories in the book that I cover is there's a story in the Old Testament um, about guys named Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego Mm -hmm. who were forced by this tyrant king to bow down to his version of God. And if they didn't bow down, he threatened with killing them. And so that story jumped off the page at me when I started reading it one Monday morning, preparing my sermon for the next week, because here we were in a country where we had our own version of a tyrant who was forcing the country in many ways to bow down to a set of ideals and idols that Americans collectively, Republican and Democrat, had said were not things we would bow down to. Levels of greed and narcissism and sexual abuse and all the things that Trump normalized, we were being asked to just accept And we had the choice, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to either go along with it and be okay and be a part of the system that destroys our fabric of society, Mm -hmm. or resist and face consequences, but potentially overcome. And um, 
And so when I use that story, I remember the visceral kind of reaction of my congregation of like, oh, we are being God. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood in the midst of the persecution as they resisted this mm -hmm. tyrant. And God's going to be with us as we stand against and stand strong and oppose loudly the things that are being normalized that should not be normalized. And again, time and time again, there are hundreds of stories in the Bible that parallel the modern world. Um, and so this book was just an attempt to help people see the riches that our tradition already has and to help people find hope and a sense of direction rather than just sitting here with the news on feeling depressed because of COVID and Trump and nationalism and white supremacy to actually feel like they could do something in their lives to begin through one subversive act of love at a time to overturn the injustice in the world. Um, and I hope well, that's what me, this book does. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, again, being having been raised Seventh-day Adventist, fairly evangelical sort of space, I'm not surprised by any of this going on. I mean, yeah. you know, if you really look, if you do, I mean, you know, depends on how people want to interpret the Bible, but this is all, everything we're experiencing is in mostly in revelation. It's like, this is, this is the sort of stuff that's going to come down the pike. And, but I always am amazed by people who get so uptight. And I have somebody in my world who's very uptight about all this going on. And I'm like, but you you sit here and you read the Bible. You you see this. You, this is what you based all your beliefs on. If anything, there kind of should be kind of a joy factor that if you really believe in the second coming and all these different things, we're getting close. You know, we're getting close mm. to that place that you really want to believe in. So I don't know why you're so upset and uptight. But yet it's another yeah. piece of I don't think you, you know, and it's hard. I mean, we're all humans, but it's really hard to like, Put your trust, put your faith like, hey, I get this. I mean, I get yes, I get annoyed. I yell at the TV all the time. But yeah. um, but I also realize, you know what? This is making me a much better person. Yeah. I mean, the last yeah. few years I have literally I have moved away from being my dad so much, you mm -hmm. know, God bless him. But I started seeing those like, oh, my gosh, I'm becoming him. And I'm this is just the way it is. And I'm like, wait, 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 that's not who I want to be. And even my my own kids and I've had conversations and and they've said, oh, no, dad, you you definitely are not. And you have really you take the time and you think and you pause. And and every day I feel like that's part of being a person of faith is to stop and pause and go. This is happening for a very beautiful purpose. It's helping me grow. It's helping the planet grow. I feel like there's a consciousness that's arising that it's time. It's in its own way. It's a whole another kind of cleansing that's happening, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I think as an LGBTQ community, it can be very hard to stand in the face of all this because, because religion and faith has been used as a weapon against us. But I always encourage anybody that I'm working through coming out of the closet to like, don't lose faith. Doesn't mean you have to go follow the practice of wherever you came from, but take the bits and pieces of what actually helped you. And they always kind of shocked when I says the bits and pieces of your faith that actually helped you come out of the closet and yeah. keep leaning into that because faith in yourself came from a seed of understanding what faith is. Trust yeah. in something greater than yourself, lean into that because that's what got you through this and, and continues to support you. Yeah. Have you seen a rise in your own faith of more lgbtq people showing up again in the faith 
so to speak, or or yeah. is there a mass exodus? <laughs> because I, there's a lot of mass exodus of religion right now, and people moving into I can have a relationship with God without having to be in the church. So there's like two different things kind of going on. But I'm yeah. curious about: Do you see more LGBTQ people coming back in? Yeah, I think statistically there's a um, false narrative that LGBT people aren't religious. Um, I think mm -hmm. the most recent Pew polls said something like 49% of LGBT people identified as very religious. Yep. Um, and in 2011, I know it's dated, but uh, I remember being kind of gobsmacked by a poll that came out from Pew Research that said, while every other demographic in America was declining in affiliation with Christianity, the one constant community that was uh coming to Christianity in greater numbers was the LGBT community. And I don't think, again, I don't think that's traditional Christianity. I don't think a lot of that means churches are growing. Right. Um, I think people are just, we're in a moment of existential crisis. Everyone is. Mm -hmm. And we really have two paths before us. I think both are legitimate paths. One of them is to lean into the existential absurdity of all of this and just say, maybe there's no meaning. And maybe all of this is just the chaotic nature of reality. And I get that and I understand that mm -hmm. and I understand why people go there. The other option is the one that I try to lean into, even though it's hard to believe, even though I have, even as a pastor, like the past four years, my own faith has dramatically changed. I identify as an agnostic now and like I'm in a very different relationship to churches because I'm skeptical of a lot of even the systems I was a part of, but I need something to give me hope and to suspend my existential dread for a moment and say, as you said, maybe, just maybe, there's something more going on here. Maybe, just maybe, our lives and our struggles, they're not good, they're not right, they're not just, but maybe they can be used to bring about greater flourishing. Maybe we are on a trajectory towards um, a better version of humanity. And I try as my best to lean towards that and to help point people towards that direction. Again, while acknowledging that there are moments where I hit the wall and I'm like, this stuff is really messed up. And I don't know if we actually are progressing as a society. Like, those are real. I want people yeah. to feel legitimate in that. Um, but the other helpful metaphor that's been so um, healing for me is there was this theologian named L. Robert Keck. And he talked about something called the supernova effect, which is before a star dies, it gets the brightest. And I think we're seeing right now the star, so to speak, of a version of Christianity and a version of nationalism and a version of white supremacy that we thought we had dealt with that is rearing its ugly head in a very loud way right now. But that's actually a signal of its death, not mm -hmm. of a rebirth. Yeah. And I choose to believe that. I choose to be a part of a movement and a kind of Christianity that shines a light on how bad that is and how inconsistent that is. And I hope that we can eradicate that um, by changing people's minds, by offering a better vision of who we can be and what is available on the other side. We've got to address people's fear and we've got to address our own fear. Um, and without doing that, uh, I don't think we're going to make much progress. But right. It's interesting that you brought up the the. Well, a couple of things there. I'll try to remember. I'm 59 years old, so I'll have this one thought and then I'll lose it. <laughs> like, OK, what was I going to say? But um. One of the things you brought up that I that inspired me years and years ago, because, you know, Brad and I use, knew each other years and years ago. I don't want you guys to think that's what I'm saying. Here. But you said something that reminded me of an experience where when I came into my my own, I came out at 36 years old, um, 
had gone through a relit. I didn't go through any conversion therapy back when I was 19, but um, had the lovely visit to the pastor and all that good stuff and didn't work because he was really hot. So I just sat there the whole time going, God, he's sexy. <laughs> he's really sexy. <laughs> um, but um, I remember right after coming out, I was like very judgmental towards our community in so many different mm -hmm. spaces. Yeah. And then I did some work with a organization called Men's Inner Journey. And then I became one of their team members and everything. And it was the most valuable, one of the most valuable experiences I had because I had this very judgy attitude towards the BDSM leather community. Yeah. And then the very first retreat, which I was a participant, not, not part of the team. And then I got to do several of them. And then every time we did them, there was a huge contingent of BDSM, leather and everything. Hmm. Some of the most beautiful, spiritual, soulful people I have ever met in my life. And yeah. I realized this is why, to your point of why LGBTQ people seem to be, quote, coming back into faith, you know, and everything is at our core, our coming out is a spiritual journey at a very deep level. And I, I don't think people recognize that in themselves as LGBTQ people enough to see mm -hmm. that that's a very big piece of why having faith in something greater than ourselves actually is a huge piece of that puzzle. Mm -hmm. And the more I've had the opportunity to work with people in that arena, I always bring that up. It's like, hey, dig into this, you know, dig into this. The other piece of that too is the more we do that, the more empathetic we become. I mean, I remember the first time I like saw Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, God bless. And then I got, I've had a couple of them on this podcast and got to know, and I'm like, oh my God, it's just, this is just another form of expression. Yeah. Which leads me to back to Colby Martin from Unclobbered when we were having his interview. I said, so what was the thing that really started to like turn you as a pastor and become a vocal, you know, ally and everything? And I said, other than, are you sure you're not coming out of the closet, buddy? Because <laughs> I knew that's what he gets asked all the time. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it just to annoy him, right? Yeah. He goes, when I when we turned the corner and I started really seeing this in the LGBTQ community, he goes, it was when I, the first time I went to San Diego Pride and our church marched in the parade. And he goes, I remember standing there in the lineup getting ready to march. And he goes, I looked around at all these beautiful people like just expressing themselves, just 100% being themselves without apology. And he said, this is what God created. This is what God said about being you. And I mean, it sent shivers up, shivers up my spine. I mean, even as I just said it, they did it again, because I think this is the thing is when we start to see each other as who we are and really dig into that deeper level, even when we get frustrated. Totally it yeah. moves the needle. In fact, I just went through some training, um, positive intelligence training. And I think you can appreciate this, Brandon, because we move from these saboteurs that cause us to keep from doing things and all this sort of stuff into what they call the sages. And the five sages in the training are empathy, exploration, innovation, navigating, and activating. And it's really interesting to go play in those because empathy is where you, you know, it's pretty simple. You understand that one. Exploring is like exploring, you know, kind of where you are and what what's happening. And but exploring, like if you're a pleaser, exploring other aspects of what a pleaser looks like. You know, if you're a controller or a victim or whatever, you explore that. But you also explore what it looks like to see other people in it. Innovating is kind of like the theater. Yes. And OK, yes, that's one perspective. And here's another perspective. 
the navigation part is all about navigating through, not going, I can't do this. There's no way through. There is always a way through. And of course, activating is activating a different side of yourself or activating, you know, something towards others. And as you were talking through that, I was like thinking, you know, this is really interesting because you're basically laying out what happens in this whole thing too, of if you took Christianity and said, well, how can I learn to empathize with them and, and explore other avenues and do the yes ands and all that. But um, it's such a powerful space to say, let's look at things differently. Let's yeah. try to find the common ground. Let's be I, conscious of who each other is. I totally agree. I think um, you talking about coming out as a spiritual experience. Um, I, Jesus says in John chapter three, uh, many will be familiar, probably triggered by this language, but he says, uh, truly, truly, I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Coming out for me was a moment of realizing what being born again is. Mm -hmm. Being born again, Jesus uses language like die to yourself and rise to a new self. Um, Paul talks about one new humanity emerging out of an old version of humanity. Coming out is shedding the false self, the ego, the masks that um, we've constructed to hide behind and the masks that help us conform and assimilate to our society. And coming out is saying, I'm doing away with that in a very personal and in a very public way. And it forces, I think, a spiritual acceleration. And so I think, and I talk about this all the time, that one of the big reasons the church should accept LGBT people, regardless of theology, is because that process of coming out, we go through a spiritual maturation and acceleration and openness that most heterosexual cisgender people don't have to go through. And so take a lifetime to even begin to understand what it means to take off the false self and to step into true identity. Um, the Apostle Paul talks about, be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's coming out. It's I'm not going to conform to what our society or our church or my family says I should be. I'm going to allow myself to be transformed, allow who I am on the inside, in my mind, to be manifest on the outside. That is what it means to become enlightened, awakened, saved, born again. And that's a process that LGBT people begin in a much more uh, palpable and intense way than most heterosexual cisgender people. And so I think LGBT people, I mean, I know this for a fact, in seminary, uh, even in my evangelical seminary, a vast majority of the people who were wanting to become pastors happen to be queer. Um, and I think there's a predisposition about LGBT people um, being in spiritual disciplines and spiritually inclined because there's something so profound about the experience we go through on the coming out journey. And I want us to embrace that and to own that because it is such a gift. It is a gift. And it's a gift I think we miss too often. Um, it's interesting that you talked about the seminary experience. So <clears throat> my dad's oldest brother was in seminary. This is way back in the 60s, I think early. Yeah. No, probably before that, probably in the mid 50s. Um, and he got within two months of finishing. And big, big, huge explosion he said, I can't do this. I'm gay. Wow. And was such a huge story in our family. And, you know, I wasn't even born then. And then as I got to know my uncle and his partner, it was always, oh, they're just friends. You know, the two, you know, back then that's what it was. Right. Yeah. But that has stuck with me for so many years. And then I had a very critical conversation with my uncle before he passed from AIDS. And um, it's always kind of resonated with me, this interesting space of 
the calling forth yourself, like truly calling forth yourself. Yeah. And to parallel this, I feel like this is part of looking at Christianity through a slightly different lens of what are you calling forth? Like mm. literally, what are you calling forth right now? Yeah. And unfortunately, I feel like much of this right wing extremism is truly all they're doing is calling forth their own fear on a very mm. consistent basis. They're calling it forward. Yeah. And when you call it forward and that's what you live in, all you can do is is live in your own fear. And, and you're right. It is the diminishing of where we are and the rebirth that's happening. And I I hope in my heart of hearts, and this is why I try to not get triggered by it a lot, like this is just the rebirth. It's a rebirth yeah. of like, this is no longer. And, and it is going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. Like, no, no, no. It's kind of like so interesting that suddenly like the whole Confederacy is like a big thing again, because it can, it tells you they haven't let go of it. They have not let yeah. go of it, you know, and that becomes ever extreme too. So, um, so what's next for you? Another book, get yeah. settled into New York, keep doing what you're doing. What, any, any new stuff coming up? That's a good question. I'm kind of uh, COVID for so many of us um, was a deconstruction of life as we knew it. And, uh, and I'm standing kind of in the rubble, so to speak of, I was a pastor, I had a very clear trajectory, I was doing a certain thing. Now I'm in a PhD program studying queer theology and religion. Um, I'm looking at pastoring a traditional church in New York. I'm not sure if that will happen, but I'm looking in that direction. Um, but and then I'm looking at I wrote a memoir 10 years ago. Um, it was right when I came out and it was kind of, I was still identifying as an evangelical. I'm looking now at wanting to go back and explore what has happened in the past 10 years since kind of being exiled from evangelicalism and then thoroughly leaning into this queer community and to queer Christianity that I've gotten the opportunity to see all around the world. And so tentatively that is called Bible Boy and it's going to be kind of the exploration awesome. of what so many queer people have gone through uh, wrestling with religion. So we'll see, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. That's awesome, man. Well, I love what you bring to the world and your perspective. And um, I'm going to actually wish you no more COVID bouts. So <laughs> we talked about that over the air. You brought up COVID. I'm like, this poor guy's been through it a few times, but um, yeah. I love how you're, you're showing up in the world and giving of yourself and being a beacon of light, not only to our community, but to the world in general. And I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. And um, well, likewise, thank you for your important work. Hey, when you're, when you, when you get the next book out, let's make sure we get you back on to talk about that. I'd love to keep sharing um, you, Brandon. So, and if anybody would like to get a hold of Brandon, all the stuff is going to be available. His website is brandonrobertson.com and that is Brandon with an A. So make sure you're doing that brand A-N, not O-N. I'm sure that happens. <laughs> happens yep. to me all the time. You know, Clemens. No, it's not two M's. No, it's not E. It's an O. So, um, but also if anybody would like a copy of Brandon's book, Dry Bones and Holy Wars, please email me at rick at rick clemens and I will send you a copy of it on my dime because I love promoting fellow authors who come on my program. So, but here's the caveat. All of you have heard this. If you've already asked for a book and you've already received a book, please don't ask again. I love you all, but let's leave room for other people to get the free books. So um, anyway, Brandon, so kind. thank you. Great to have you here. Happy holidays, man. I love this conversation and um, can't wait to chat with you again in the future. Yeah, likewise. Happy holidays. Thank you. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us 
to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Unclogged. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.